Church, developing a culture of loving Christ and serving others. Amen. Well, before we go any further, let's just uh, dedicate this uh, next few minutes to God, and let's just honor Him with that. Father, let Your voice speak clearly and loudly into our hearts. Let there be truth that rings in our minds, and Lord, uh, help us to uh, uh, learn more about you, you and your ways today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Speedy Morris, or Petey Morris, was the coach of the basketball team at LaSalle University. He said one day he was in the upstairs bathroom shaving when his wife told him that he was wanted on the phone by Sports Illustrated. And for the, co- the coach of a Division I basketball team, that's a pretty great honor. And so Speedy uh, said he was so excited that he had accidentally cut himself with a razor while he was shaving. He grabbed some toilet paper and he pressed it onto his face and rushed out of the bathroom so he could get to the phone. I mean, LaSalle basketball is not exactly the ranks of KU of Missouri. And for Sports Illustrated to be calling him could be the highlight of his year. So with blood trickling down his cheek, he descended the stairs two at a time. And he found the first two steps, but lost his balance, rolled down the last half of the stairs, got up, limped, and finally came to the phone and said, Sports Illustrated? He asked. Yes, came the reply. And for only 75 cents an issue, you can subscribe to an entire year. I don't know about you, but um, it's tough to handle letdowns and disappointments in life. And whether it's a sports team or it's uh, politicians or it's friends or it's things or scenarios in our lives, we all experience letdowns and disappointments. It's just the reality of this fallen world that you and I live in, correct? I don't think there's anybody alive who has never had a disappointment in their life. And I think it's true, and I know it's true, even in the life of Jesus, And in this John series, we're in John chapter 2. So if you want to head on over there to John chapter 2, we're going to see the reality of Jesus in human form and also in the nature and character of God in this aspect of a letdown and a disappointment through the eyes and the heart and the emotion of Jesus coming into a scenario that before his eyes, something unsettles Jesus and he reacts and he responds in a way that is worthy of us to take note because we get to see Jesus in action and what that looks like. We get a piece of what what this, what Jesus and who he is and his attributes and his character and the nature of God unfold right before us. And this is really kind of one of those passages of Scripture that can get skimmed by because Jesus is by nature a pacifist. But something ticks him off. Jesus gets upset and he gets really angry. And so we're going to take note of that. And that's in John chapter 2, starting with uh, verse 13. And I'm going to go ahead and set my notes to the side. And I'm going to read right out of uh, God's word, right? Um. We don't want anything straight out of context, so we're going to go right to his word. John chapter 2, starting with verse 13, Jesus clears the temple, or Jesus cleanses the temple. This is, the, the screen is actually NIV. Uh, Javier, this is the English Standard Version, so if you see just a little bit of a variation there, that's why. I'm changing things up just a little bit in the second service for you guys. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... 
Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove out all from the temple courts. Both sheep and cattle were scattered, the coins of the money changers, and overturned the tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here and stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, only after then, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Sometimes it takes a while, right, in this process of life to understand and grasp fully what God is telling you in that moment. But in life's lessons, you'll learn and see what God has actually spoken to you years ago as you were diving into his word, comes into a reality, into your heart. And you're like, oh, that's what God means. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what happened to the disciples after Jesus ascended. The reality of this came into their hearts. Last week we learned about the first miracle that Jesus performed. And it was with a, a little nudging of his mom, Mary. Jesus, you can handle this. Remember there's no more wine. Woman, what would you have me do? For now is not the, the hour has not yet come. And so she kind of prompts him to get into this ministry that she had been waiting for. And he turns the water into wine. And there's so much to dive into that about the blessings of God and how the wedding and, the, and how uh, the, the relationship of Jesus and the start of a celebration and new life that is going to be happening and new things that are going to be influencing us through Jesus and the miracles that we get to experience with him through him as the disciples were in the middle of a miracle that Jesus was performing. Their faith exploded because of what God was doing through them. That was the sign that was for the disciples and it had nothing to do to benefit them, only faith. And so Jesus really has just come off of this high with his disciples. He had done something he had never done before. And he goes into the temple for worship, right? And let me just paint the scene a little bit of what we have in our Bible. Now let me just encourage you Bible readers out there. That we don't just read the story and we go to the next one and we go to the next one. There is something about meditating on God's word. And sometimes when we say we meditate, we don't know what that means. And I think that it pauses us, and when we meditate, we pause for a minute, and we think and we reflect upon God's Word. And when you reflect, there is moments in time where Jesus will speak to you. And how He speaks to us is He will bring into our mind a vision of what God has done in that moment as He spells it out. It's easy to breeze by the, the Jewish temple and what was happening in the courtyards, and people were coming for sacrifices for forgiveness. So I want to pause as we meditate on God's word. I want to reflect on that scenario or that scene and hopefully paint just a little bit of a picture of the reality that is unfolding before us in just a few verses. It was early in the morning. Jesus and the disciples are on the way 
to the temple before the Jewish Passover feast, right? There was people coming all from all over, from Persia, from Greece, from Egypt, and they were coming for the celebration. The town itself had swelled. Some believe that it would sw- had swelled to about 150,000 people. And they're coming into this temple courts, and it's a huge area. We get to go there in, in just a, a, a few days, which I'm excited for. And they walk up those steps, and Jesus begins to see something he doesn't like. In the brisk air, with the disciples coming there for worship, he doesn't see peace and harmony. He doesn't see God's people calling out to them for forgiveness of sins in, in this holy way. He sees something quite the contrary. In the chaos, in the clutter, in the confusion, it's unsettling to Jesus. The clanking of the coins, the exchange of the Persian or the Egyptian, right, with the coin with, the, with Pharaoh's imprint on it. They had to exchange that for the temple and have the temple tax. And there was the shekel, and the shekel was being exchanged for this pagan so they could purchase these sacrifices, so they could have forgiveness of sins. And there's this exchange that's happening, and there was greedy, money-hungry people who have shet, uh, set up shop, and they were not being treating people fairly with the exchange. They were stealing from people who were desperately wanting to come have their heart right with God, to have peace with God, and they were, they were selling, and they were buying, and they were purchasing grace that was put on sale. Forgiveness was being put on a pedestal of price that they couldn't afford. And Jesus walks in, and he's this distant shadow. He's this distant stranger that nobody notices. And in between two big pillars, I can imagine in my mind, in between two pillars, Jesus stands in the backdrop, watching people, watching the exchange of his children, trying to reach him. But there is something that is blocking the people coming for forgiveness and grace. There is something that stands in the way, and it's corrupt religion. And he stands there and he's watching and he's observing. And all of a sudden, humiliation, embarrassment of what the father is feeling. He begins to feel himself because he's so intertwined with the father. There's a tragedy and morality that's happening there. There is an exploitation of God's grace and forgiveness. And it's on the menu. In this place that's supposed to be holy, that's supposed to be reserved, so that God and man can have a connection once again. When there was sin that separated them, then they come to this place to find healing. And people have traveled this way, the long way, this distance, coming with their hearts in anticipation, expectation to meet God and to be healed. And here there is, there's this exchange. They've been met with a blockade. This is what Jesus is upset with. As an observer, he stands there. The disciples are right by his side, and he's just waiting, and he's just waiting, and he's watching, hoping that there would be something that he could see, that there was a hint of God's forgiveness and grace that wasn't on sale. And he's standing there, And as he's watching and as he's waiting, there's a burning that begins to happen. An uneasiness. And he's shaking his head, right? 
This is me meditating on his word and I'm putting myself in that situation of what that may look like. No doubt it was building in him. The burning starts getting into his soul. His face begins to get red because he's more than flustered. He's been patient. He's been waiting long enough and all he can see is abuse of his children. All of a sudden, the, the, the disciples notice that his body gets tense. His, fliss, his fists begin to flinch. His jaw muscles begin to clench. The brow begins to lower. They notice him having a demeanor that they've never seen before. And in that moment of, of firmness, of strong conviction, of readiness to take action, that he cannot just stand by and watch his children be abused any longer, he comes up and takes some strides forward. And the disciples just get out of the way because they know they're not going to mess with Jesus this time. And he plants his feet and he's he stoops down and he picks up some cords that were just left behind. He ties a knot in them and he grabs them tightly in his fist and he begins to whip the tables. He begins to whip the cattle and the cattle begin rushing out of here. The, 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 the cages begin to be overturned. Doves go scattering. Sheep go running. There is chaos and people are screaming out of fear because they don't know what this lunatic's going to do. And Jesus, in his holy nature, has come to cleanse the temple of its impurity. And Jesus is setting the scene for what's about to come. It hasn't happened yet. Remember, there is going to be a new temple that will be rebuilt. And this old temple is an old way that it will be done with. It's not adequate anymore. And God will restore the relationship with people in a pure way. And people were afraid of the wrath of God towards the corruption of sin, religion, and putting the price tag on God. Jesus takes these whips and most scholars don't believe that he's out there whipping people, but in fact he's whipping the cattle and he's taking that out, that to the sacrifice, which one day the whip will go on his back. And he releases the scapegoat. And he becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the beaten. He becomes the one that is a lamb that led, is led into the slaughter. He's the one that steps into that place where the temple no longer requires animals. He himself becomes a spotless lamb. And in that moment, the, the, the people go scattering because they know what's about to happen. But he says to those who say, what authority do you have? Show us a sign. He says, I'll give you a sign, but you're going to miss it. But it's going to happen in three days. I'm going to rebuild the temple. They had no idea what, they were, what he was talking about. Where he was talking about his body that would be ra raised from the dead. See, that was so offensive to them at that moment because he's totally obliterating the religious structure that they, he had set up. And we say it all the time, but it's absolutely true. 
that Jesus, following Jesus, is more about a relationship than it is a religion. This is where we see that. Give us a sign that you have authority to do what you're doing. You're driving everybody out here. You're scaring everybody. You're, you're driving out all these sacrifices. Where's your sign? In three days, I'll raise it up. And they said, what are you talking about? It took us 46 years to build this temple. See, God does something more, does a sign that's deeper than what's on the outside. He did more underneath the ground in the grave than what was built on top of the soil. And that temple was no longer something that we could see on the outside, only on the inside. And when God raises us back to life, it becomes visible, and we become the temple that Jesus Christ already is inside of us. He clothes us with his righteousness, and he makes your, your body with uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so his relationship and his identity, we also get to choose, or we also get to put on the identity of Christ. That's why your body is the temple, and Jesus said he is the temple, because his relationship with you is inside of you and with the Father, right? We become children, and there was no longer that gap of something standing in the way. In that temple, there was too many things, too many obstacles standing in the way. What God had set up for healing, for grace, for forgiveness had been perverted by man. God, Jesus came to do something that cannot be perverted by man. You cannot pervert the cross, his life, or his resurrection. It is holy, it is already made right, it is righteous, it will, it will justify us. Just as if we had never sinned is what he did on the cross. And that temple that he has provided for us, we get free access to. So when we go to God, we go into the Holy of Holies, it's through Jesus Christ. We find life in him, that's in the temple of Jesus. So we find forgiveness in him we find grace in him not anybody else we don't go to anybody else for forgiveness or grace we go to the high priest that's the high priest jesus christ we go to him because inside of him lies the sacrifice of sins in him our, our salvation reigns uh, through his name uh, we have life it is in him in the temple that we get to come into the holy of holies not on our accord but because of jesus and jesus is not a distant some far off uh, god but he is inside you and i so the second miracle of Jesus' life is really listed here. It's a setup of the cleansing. It's a setup of cleansing of you and I. It's a setup of the temple. It's a setup of se separating from uh, us, a separ God-separated people. He has chosen us, called us out, called us to live a different life, a sinless life as Jesus did. But we can't do that. Jesus does that for us, and we rest in him and what he has given us. Here's the thing. We say, okay, man, it was a, why, why was Jesus so upset? Was it because people were coming and buying these cattle and sheep and doves and pigeons? What was it where they were so mad at? He wasn't upset that the fact that people were coming and purchasing. He wasn't upset that the Persians, that the Egyptians were coming and purchasing these animals for sacrifice. Because Jesus knows, and you and I know, that sin comes at a cost. And it was, it was pricely to come and have your, your, your forgiveness of sins. It took money to be able to buy either cattle from there, or raise it and bring it. And it, had, it couldn't just be one, it had to be one that was spotless. It had to be approved. It had to be uh, cleansed. It had to be selected just right and meet the standards of that. 
And so Jesus knows what the sacrifice takes. And it is costly. And your sin does cost. My sin is costly. And that's why Jesus came to purchase those sins and stand in the gap and say, okay, this is how much it costs. I will pay for it. Legally, I will pay, take that. I will put it upon myself. And I'm going to give that to you. And you get to have that for free. All you got to do is trust that what I've given you works with God. And that's how we have a, a salvation in God is that we just put our trust in Jesus. And some of us, it's too much because we say, God, I need to do something. I don't feel good enough if I pay for it. I don't feel like I deserve it. So I need to do something more to add to that. And Jesus says, stop thinking that way. I love you too much to, be, to have this on your own shoulders. I placed all of it here. My shoulders are broad. They are big. My arms are stretched out wide enough. I'll cast your sins as far as the east is to the west all you got to do is in me i am the sacrifice i nailed it i killed it it's done with i already knew your sins i knew you while you were still sinner i knew you before you were born that means i knew that when you were going to sin and when you weren't and i know that my love is already before you and i've placed my sacrifice in front of you are you willing to trust in the goodness of the father Yes, there is God's wrath. Yes, it was been in that day in the temple, in the place where it was supposed to be holy. Yes, there was the wrath of Jesus. And God himself hates sin. God hates sin. And he hates the perversion of God's word. And he hates the abuse of God's children. There is wrath upon sin. And we should not take that lightly of what God has done for us. The wrath that we see Jesus in that moment, God placed that wrath upon His Son instead of us. He took that away from us, that punishment, that sin, and that guilt, and that shame of what we have done to separate God says, my son will stand in that gap so that you can be set free. And I tell you, when you're free, you are free indeed. If there was such a gift that you could ever receive, it's this one. And the offering that we give back to God is to fear him and recognize what our sin is and what he has taken us out of. God's gift is great and vast and wide. And he has provided it specifically down to the minute detail in your life. The best way for us to give him an offering back is a sacrifice of offering of praise. And praise him for the work that he's done in your life. You want power, you want victory in your life recognize the gift that he's given you and praise him for it. No matter how dark the day gets, if you begin to praise him in that storm for what you've been given and what you've received freely, you will be pulled out of that miry clay. 
that sticky stuff of life, those letdowns, those setbacks, those disappointments, you can rest assured that God's promise to love you, to never forsake you, that his grace is for you and not against you, will lift you out of those disappointments that life will throw at us. Those letdowns won't be as great of a letdown. When we have the perspective to see that God's love is on you right now at this moment, and that sin doesn't have that grip of love in your life anymore. In fact, you hate that sin that controls you that much more. And so you love the grace of God in front of you and thank Him for that as a building and empower, empowering movement in your life to pursue God's righteousness in your life. So much has happened in this segment of Scripture. The wrath of God, the cleansing of the temple, and the forgiveness and the grace that would be put upon Jesus for you and for me. And that God has given us, how many of us, more than a second chance? (laughs) Don't we just all exhale at that and just say, thank you, God. That you're patient with us because his wrath could have been poured out on us. But because he's a good father, he has given you and I the greatest gift that we could never purchase. It is peace with God. When you have peace with God, you've got peace in your life. Jesus said, I came to give you peace. And peace is what I leave you. May we always remember where peace comes from. And who peace comes through. And who peace is given to. He did it so that you can have peace with God in your life. What an amazing gift. That sacrifice that Jesus did. So that we could obtain that right now. In this life. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We got Joey with us today. Okay. I'll let you guys pick the last song. Father of Peace. I kind of threw it on them that we're going to sing a song at the, at the end of this. But I feel like with a message like this, it's good for us to put into practice uh, what we hear. So we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. And singing is a practical part of giving praise to God. Offering our thanks to Him. And recognizing that He is the Father of your peace no matter what. That in this life you will have trouble, right? But He will give you peace. In the middle of that trouble. So Katie was right when she opened up and said, I believe that this service is about peace. And I want to offer up a prayer, a special prayer for those who may not have experienced peace this last week. Who may have been wrestling with turmoil. Who may have been wrestling with, with their relationship with God because it just doesn't seem peaceful now. And maybe there's a struggle, a war that's happening. And you don't know what it is, but I'll tell you what that is. That's a spiritual battle happening. And I'm reminding you to put on the armor 
of faith every single day that God is with you, but we've got to equip ourselves with the spiritual giftings of the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the belt of the truth. We've got to put these things on because you're in warfare, you're in battle, and if you've been battling without this, you're susceptible to those fiery darts. And some of those fiery darts have gotten past and they penetrated your faith, they penetrated your soul, and so you've been living this week of anxiety, worry, and fear. And that's not you, and that's not God's design for you, but your relationship with Him will be built on praise and thanksgiving. As we praise Him and thank Him for what He has came to offer you, and that's peace. How many of you here today are ready to live a week with greater strength of peace from God this week than last week? Both go up, right? Because that's the number one area where Satan will come in and try and divide you. Divide your peace with God, your connection, your relationship with God. If you can get that divided in you, he's going to get a foothold. We don't want Satan to have a foothold. So what I want to do is just pray over those of us who have raised our hands specifically. And we're just going to pray for, for God to be our defender, that we will recognize him as that. Because he already is this week. And the challenge is this week, thank God for three things at least every single day. Before you go to work, thank him for three things and be specific. Father, we start our Thanksgiving process here now. We thank you for the life that we find in you. We thank you for new thoughts that come from you. Help us, God, to have the, the mind of Christ. Transform our thinking. Renew our mind. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for every single hand that went up, God, that you will be the bearer of good fruit in their soul. I ask for a spiritual covering over their household. The spiritual blessing of peace. That the home becomes a shelter with your presence. A safety net with your comfort. I pray over the workplace that you will shield them from attacks. I pray for words of wisdom in the name of Jesus that we respond with truth and gentleness. I pray for marriages in the name of Jesus that you will bind them together as three cords united in you are not easily broken. I pray in the name of Jesus over children, God, that you will Restore relationships. God, we offer this time to you as the beginning of the week, as, the, as a first fruit sacrifice over to you. We ask that you go before us this week, bring into our minds, quicken our minds to you, so when we when face problems or difficulties this week, you're our number one answer, not our number two or number three. 
Help us, God, to live by faith in a greater way this week. Produce in us spiritual awareness of how good you are to us. We sing this song to you, God, as a gratitude, as an offering of thanks, and just as a launching point for this week. We worship you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information on Northview Church, please visit northviewutah.com.